mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 66 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio Technica. I'm your host, Johnny Peck. Thanks for joining us this week with an awesome guest. Andrea Renee is on the show. But before we get to Andrea, I'll hit you with the iTunes review of the week which goes to Vansmack1125 with the headline, Love This Show. Putting in work is one of my weekly staples. Great interviews with interesting people from all walks of life. Jono, the host, asks great questions and is a pleasure to listen to. Thank you so much, Vansmack. And as I mentioned, we've got Andrea Renee here. Andrea is the co-founder and chief operations officer of What's Good Games. But Andrea is mostly known as a host all over the internet. She's done so much they call her the busiest lady in the business, and it's no surprise because she's everywhere you look. She's worked for so many different places. Uh, in recent years, GameStop, she co-hosts Kind of Funny Games Daily. She's worked with Playboy Enterprises, Yahoo, Nintendo World Championships. It just seems like she's everywhere. It was interesting to learn how she got started first moving to Los Angeles to get into like TV hosting. She was working for E! News for a while, doing a lot of red carpets, and then kind of pivoted to video games and really made a name for herself as a strong voice in the industry that a lot of people connect to, a lot of people relate to, and trust. So I think Andrea has some really awesome advice for people that want to do what she's doing, but also how much work goes into it. I actually learned a lot about her in this interview. I guess that's the point of talking to someone for this long is to learn something about them. And I definitely learned about what happens when the camera's not rolling, the work that goes into putting together the research for hosting and presenting and the interviews that happen in front of the camera. If you are here as a kind of funny fan, like I was, that's how I got onto Andrea, you might be interested in going back through my interviews to see episodes with Greg Miller, Colin Moriarty, Tim Geddes, Andy Cortez, Nick Scarpino. They're all there. Hope you enjoy those. And uh, without further ado, here is Andrea Renee. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Andrea. It's awesome to get you on the show, especially on a Sunday. Appreciate your time so much. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, let's get straight into it. You are a woman of many talents and you have many titles that I've heard over the uh, years. But how do you describe yourself to people that you meet in terms of what you do? It's a funny question because I think it really depends if it's somebody that I'm meeting at an industry function that already has a base knowledge or if it's just like a random like stranger on the street. Because yeah. when people ask me, what do I do? <laughs> it's, a, it's a really complicated thing to explain. <laughs> um, so generally, I just call myself a digital media producer for people who don't work in the video games business. That's the relatively easiest thing for them to understand. But I am an on-camera presenter. I'm a writer and I'm a producer. Okay, and uh, let's backpedal a little and just kind of talk about how you got here because I imagine that when you were growing up, there probably weren't a lot of role models for you that are doing exactly what you're doing now. I don't know if the internet was at that particular point. So what was it that got you onto this path? There literally were zero role models um, for <laughs> what I do because it just didn't exist, right? So the internet really became a big thing when I was in high school and it's kind of dating myself a little bit, but it didn't really take off in the sense of digital video until I graduated from college. So I graduated, you know, in like the mid 2000s and I had my first digital video job in 2006 in Los Angeles working for a site called musicplustv.com which became Blaze TV it was one of the very um, first like digital streaming music sites uh, which was really interesting but 
I always wanted to be an on-camera reporter. I grew up watching Mary Hart on Entertainment Tonight, and I absolutely fell in love with the idea of working in broadcast television. And then I went to middle school, and we had Channel One here in the United States. And Lisa Ling was a reporter for Channel One when I was in school, and I had so much respect for what she did. I was like, I want to travel the world and report on stories and be a journalist. And so I, you know, decided to join the school newspaper and I eventually went to school for journalism and for broadcasting. And that kind of led into my career in digital media. And, and what was the point where you realized, wait a second, I can actually do this for video games, which I'm guessing was a huge part of your childhood and an interest that you'd had for a long time? Yeah. So growing up, video games was just a hobby, right? It was just something that we did to pass the time to have fun. I never considered it a career path at any point. It was it was not even a, a thought in my head. It wasn't until I'd spent a couple of years working the entertainment news scene in Los Angeles, doing red carpets and junkets, things like that, that I kind of decided, you know, maybe this wasn't everything that I thought it was going to be and was kind of doing some soul searching on where I wanted to take my hosting career. And so I was browsing auditions like every typical person who wants to work in entertainment that lives in Los Angeles does on a day-to-day basis. And I saw one, a posting for a reporter for E3. And as a longtime video game fan, you know, E3 is like the mecca that we all want to get to. And back then it was still industry only. Mm. And so there really was no way to get in unless you worked for the press. And so this um, this guy, Torrance Davis, who was running a site called TheBitBag.com, which sadly no longer exists, um, was hiring for a reporter. He said, I'm sorry, I don't have the budget to pay you, but I'll get you a media badge. And I was like, I'm sold. <laughs> All I want to do is go to the show. So that was my very first job in video games. Awesome. So uh, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to backpedal because I want to know, like you kind of casually mentioned that you were on red carpets and, you know, I'm sure that you interviewed some really uh, interesting and, and successful people there. So what was it that actually got you to that point? Like, did you have to grind through regional newspapers in, in Minnesota and uh, kind of work your way up to getting your name out there and recognized enough that you could be hired by one of these TV studios? Well, I actually didn't do a lot of broadcast work. So I had an internship. My se- I had two internships my senior year of college that really helped give me a good back- uh, backbone for what I wanted to do. But of course, as any college student knows, an internship will only get you so far. You really got to pound the pavement if you want to get an opportunity, particularly in a field in the entertainment sector. I moved from Minneapolis, where I graduated, I went to the University of Minnesota, to Los Angeles pretty immediately. I only spent about six months saving money before I moved out to California. But I spent my junior year of college studying TV and film production through an exchange program in Los Angeles. That really kind of laid the foundation for me wanting to move back and really wanting to be part of entertainment. When I got back to LA, I mean, it was a slog. Anybody who moves to LA and is looking for work in the entertainment field will tell you, like, I mean, you're going to hear a lot of no's, a lot of doors shut in your face, a lot of people telling you, like, they don't want you or you're not right for the role or whatever. And you just got to keep applying and keep going out. So I was started at a lot of smaller digital sites doing, you know, short projects and hosting and on camera until I got, thankfully, um, through a connection of mine, I was able to get an audition for E! Online. And that was really like the first big entertainment outlet that I worked with. Yeah, wow. 
that seems like a huge break. Like that would have opened a lot of doors, I'm guessing. You would think, but the problem <laughs> is, is there's so many girls who are trying to be entertainment hosts in Los Angeles that the competition is really fierce. And what I discovered was that the type of hosting that I was doing didn't feel creatively fulfilling because I had absolutely no control over what I was covering at all. I literally mm. was uh, a voice for hire that they would, a producer would come in with a script and then I would go to a booth and I would read it and then I would go back to like the holding room or office, so to speak, and wait for a producer to come and give me another script and then I'd read it. And it was really, while it was exciting to be in one of the biggest entertainment news outlets that exists, I quickly realized, wow, this is, if this is going to be what a career in entertainment news yeah. looks like, that's kind of bleak. And I and I fully understood that I, I had to start at the bottom and work my way up, of course. But I really was looking for something where I had a little bit more input and more creative control. And that certainly was not it. Yeah, that's interesting. Curious now, you mentioned there were a lot of girls uh, working in that field that you were competing with, I guess. Did you see video games as something where you could stand out a lot more because it's less uh, female dominated in terms of those red carpet events and I mean, not that there's a lot of red carpet events in video games, but I guess that uh, <laughs> there's like three, yeah. <laughs> but, the, but uh, I, I suppose there weren't uh, strong voices in the industry from, you know, from what I remember of that period that you probably started to do a lot of work in games. Oh yeah, there were there were almost none. But like you know, I never looked at video games as like a oh well maybe if I go over there I'll have less competition. Sure, yeah. I looked at video games as something that I knew that I was passionate about and I had a, a lot of enthusiasm for. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be competing against other people, well maybe I should do it with some content that I can actually get behind and content that excites me because I know that it's going to be a long hard climb to get to where I want to go. And if I don't wake up every morning excited about that climb, then what am I doing here? And um, really, the the catalyst for me switching from entertainment news and let's l let me be frank. I mean, obviously, I still cover entertainment, geek and gaming culture yeah. at large. Obviously, includes TV and movies. But back then, hosting on camera reporting was making a shift. It really happened right around the writer strike, which happened in Hollywood in two thousand eight, right around the Great Recession, and the shift really made a focus on on-camera presenters having an expertise or a specialty, whether that be interior design or cooking or real estate or whatever your host specialty was. And I was like, hey, there's not that many on-camera people who specialize in video games. Maybe I could make that my specialty because it's something that I'm really passionate about and something that I've always loved to do. And that was really what kind of drove me because I was like having trouble competing in this gigantic pool of everybody wanting to do entertainment news. So I was like, well, let me focus on something that at least at the end of the day, I know that I have a lot of fun covering. And, you know, even if I never make it, I, I will at least had fun on the ride. Yeah. Sounds like, um, you know, that old adage of, of finding something that you enjoy doing to make it seem like less hard work when you are working hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a misconception that people who work in video games, particularly people who do what I do, that all we do is get to sit around and play video games all day. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. that's such the farthest from the truth because I look at my career and all the things that I've had to do over the last, you know, decade and change working in this business and it's, you know, it's not glamorous. <laughs> mm. 
So how did you make that transition to games? Like you talked about, there was a, a niche there that, that you could cover. How did you make that transition? And, and after that e- first E3 event, get your name out there and, and build up a reputation for you know being a, a voice that people could trust and be entertained by as well. Well, it really was just about looking for any opportunity I could find. And living in Los Angeles, there certainly were um, some opportunities, um, but obviously there just wasn't as many as existed in other types of on-camera reporting. But I, you know, put myself up for as many opportunities as, you know, would take me. And so just, you know, submitting my materials, my reel and my resume and going on interviews. My first major show, my first ongoing show that I finally booked was with this small internet site, which became quite large, um, called Mahalo.com. They had a sister site called ThisWeekend.com. And I got hired to host and produce a show called This Week in Video Games. And it was a weekly live streaming show, one hour a week, all live, online. And this was when podcasting was just kind of starting to hit the the mainstream consciousness. I mean, podcasting had been around for a while, mm. but generally the, the major format was podcast, but they also did a live video feed. And live video on justin.tv feels like like it happened so long ago, but it really wasn't that long ago, but it was really one of those things back then that nobody was really doing. And so it was a really fun show, and I became a full-time producer at thisweekend.com. I was producing at 1.10 different live shows a week. Wow. And it was pretty crazy from This Week in Cars to This Week in Football, This Week in iPad I hosted, This Week in Tech, uh, where I got to work with, you know, Ashley Esqueda, who works over at, at CNET now, who is fantastic. And um, I worked with Jessica Villarreal at This Week in Video Games. She is running a VR company now. It's it's crazy to think about that that <laughs> period of my life. But that was really my first full-time job uh, working in video games. Sure. And like looking through your, I guess, uh, resume, it lo- looks like you have somewhat bounced around from different uh, websites and different roles and different jobs and and maybe not being like identified to one until what's good games which we'll talk about um in a bit but was that a deliberate uh, attempt to just uh, i guess do as many cool things as possible or is that the nature of the industry where opportunities come up and you take the next thing that's coming or opportunities dry up in some areas so you have to move on You know, it's interesting that I'm glad you brought this up because there's a lot of times when people talk to me about my career, I get accused of job hopping and it's that couldn't be farther (laughs) from the truth because the reality is in any digital media business, whether it be in video games or music or whatever, is that the profitability margin is pretty low. And so that means that you really got to succeed in order to stay in business. That's why it's so impressive that you see giant sites like IGN continue to maintain their audience base year after year, you know, for multiple decades. Mm. You know, that's really something to be applauded. If I could have had a long-term career at like a GameSpot or an IGN, I absolutely would have taken that route. Um, I I applied for a job at IGN once upon a time, um, but the but the reality is that you know there are so few positions and so many people competing for them that yeah. you really have to take whatever whatever opportunities present themselves. And unfortunately for me, that meant at companies that didn't you know last as long as I would have liked, like thisweekend.com doesn't exist anymore. Mahalo Video Games doesn't exist anymore. Game Trailers doesn't exist anymore. Escapist News mm. doesn't exist anymore. You know, like Machinima Channel where I worked doesn't exist anymore as it used to. You know, so it's like, if you think about 
if you look at almost all of the places that I've worked, a lot of those places are just gone. And that's really kind of mm. tragic in a way because I, I, I think about places, even like the work that I did at Playboy Gamey with Mike Rougeau's team over there for a Gamer Next Door Weekly. You know, Playboy had this amazing editorial team doing really great writing work. And then they added a video team, which I was working on with, with Pam Horton. And then they just came in and laid everybody off and now they've pulled all of that content down off the internet and now it's gone like all of the work that entire team did poof <laughs> disappeared Damn. so basically like to answer to i for a very roundabout way of answering your question like in my career i have been very um blessed to have opportunities to work with some major brands and some major companies but, you know, I've had to hustle because, as I've mentioned, you know, these places don't always have the benefit of a, of a big budget or a large staff to write enough pieces to sell enough ads to keep, it, to keep it going. So when I would see an opportunity, I would take it because you kind of have to be looking out for yourself because, as I've mentioned, you know, these places didn't last. And that's really kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, it, is, it seems to be like it. I don't know if it's a problem with the industry, but you know, it's a problem for people that want to stay in there. That that it is so uh, tumultuous. Like even like interviewing Colin Moriarty recently, he talks about how hard he worked at IGN because he was paranoid of being laid off, even though he was just like a senior editor and that kind of thing. So I guess it's something that's always at the back of people's minds, from the game devs right up to the the reporters and journalists. So is that something that's been somewhat of a, a challenge as you've been in that industry to? you know, think about, uh, I guess, security and, and long-term prospects? You know, job security is something that everyone faces, particularly, you know, in entertainment fields because so many people want to do it, right? Yeah. Like so many people wake up and go, how do I get your job? Yep. And <laughs> and that's, that's the hard part. And so like, I'm excited to hear that Colin said he worked hard. But I would hope that everybody who has their jobs says, I go, I'm going to work really hard because I want to make sure to keep this job. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've known some people in this business that, you know, have made it clear that they're just kind of skating by. And that makes me so frustrated because I look at the video game media business as such a privilege to work here, knowing that there is a line of a thousand people behind me that would eagerly step in and take my role mm. should I leave it vacant. And the idea that, you know, there's somebody, an editor out there somewhere going, you know, like this job is just okay. It's like, wow, how how can you say that? No, oh, this <laughs> job is incredible. You should be grateful every morning you wake up that you have this job. And if you aren't, then leave it and give it to somebody else. Sorry, I get kind of passionate about these things. No. That's great. That's great. Have you ever, uh, we ever attempted to go into reporting because I know like people like yourself to, to speak with authority often it helps to have uh, relationships or, you know, a closer understanding of how studios work and that kind of thing, which often comes through doing those interviews and, and reporting. Or is that something you never really felt like was necessary? Oh, I have done it. I've done thousands of interviews, like literally thousands um, over my career. Um, the thing, though, for me is that almost all of my work is in video form versus sure. in print form. Uh, and, that, and that just comes from a personal preference that I prefer short form broadcast uh, scripting versus long form print. And when I was in journalism school, I discovered that pretty quickly that my brain just doesn't really work in the long form format. And that's why I have a lot of respect for 
people at places like, you know, like Waypoint or Polygon or the features work that's happening at Game Informer, you know, like those really meaty long form pieces are so fantastic, but it's just not in my creative mindset to do. Yeah. And so that's why I've um, had a video focus pretty much my entire career. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I guess like in, in my mind, I've probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong for, for thinking this way, but I, I've probably separated like a, a on-camera interview from from the journalism that's happening at uh, at those sites that you mentioned. Do you, do you think that they are closer than, than a lot of people might put them? It's interesting that you bring up this idea of, you know, the perception of what people think my career is or what my job is. Mm. And it's something that I've run into quite a bit over you know, the course of my my career is that people are kind of like, oh, they think that I only do this one thing because they see me on camera doing this one thing. Yeah. When in reality, like my career at, at Clever Games, for example, started with me writing 10 news stories a day and producing 10 individual video pieces yeah. to go with those written scripts. You know, so I was the producer. I was the on-camera host. I was the social media blogger. I pulled all of the assets. I worked with the editor to get those pieces cut. You know, and so, but people watching the channel only saw me reading a teleprompter. Mm, yeah, so they right. probably just assumed, oh, she's just a girl reading a teleprompter. When in reality, I was running the entire channel with the assistance of a video editor. And it's and that's kind of been the trajectory for my entire career is that like you see me representing this product, but what you don't see is me doing all of the work behind to support that product. And that includes, you know, doing PR interviews, marketing interviews, talking to the dev teams, doing research, writing scripts, you know, producing pieces. Like there's a there's a lot of moving parts to what we do. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I guess like, yeah, people can see someone talking on camera and just think that they've got all this in their head, but you've actually put a lot of research and scripting. Like you are still writing, you're just reading what you've written rather than presenting it on a, a website as a, a written piece. Exactly. I mean, and there were some websites where we would present the the text as, you know, a, a written piece as well. We would just copy the script that I would write and we would tweak the ins and outs so it was, didn't sound like I was like presenting a script on, yeah. in a blog post. Sure. But essentially, you know, because like all of the work that would go into writing those scripts, we didn't want it to go to waste if people weren't going to watch the video if they preferred to read it instead. Mm. Yeah, it's funny to think now because there's such a, a massive shift towards video and, and even like suggestions that written pieces will just be read out with a, you know, B-roll playing over the top of them to, to appeal to those people that don't want to read. You'd be surprised by how many people still prefer a text format to video. Mm. It's interesting. I guess especially like Facebook and you see like a lot of videos where it's just, it is just text on screen with, with B-roll, yeah. Right, because if you're like browsing at work and you can't listen to the audio, you want to be able yeah. to like read the closed captions. Exactly, or on the bus or the train or something as well, yeah. So I'm interested in your thoughts about collaboration because like the way that I came across you probably was through Kind of Funny. I'm a big uh, fan of, of those guys and, and their work. And I think it was probably like a games cast and, you know, you, you going toe to toe with Colin about mobile games and, you know, holding your own in, in a kind of a, a debate about that was I was found really interesting and entertaining. So how important is it, do you think, for hosts or people who are trying to build a personal brand to get out there and work with as many different, not competitors, but, you know, peers as possible. 
I think it's incredibly important to do cross collaboration with other people who work in the business. Not only does it give you a chance to put your brand and your face in front of an audience who potentially maybe has never seen you or heard of you before, but it gives you the opportunity to to grow your on-camera skills. I mean, co-hosting is a skill. You know, it's not just something that you show up and you learn how to talk into a microphone. Like, it's something that you need to work at and something that you need to be really good at and something that I'm still working at. You know, like, I have been hosting now for quite some time, but, you know, I never stop learning. I never stop growing and trying to be better. And the easiest way to do that is to collaborate. Yeah, and it's it's also that thing of uh, people get to see you in a different light as well. Like you might have a, a, a podcast or a show that's very specific on, on what it covers and then you get to be, you know, interviewed yourself on someone else's show and then they get to see that side of you too, which is great, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about uh, What's Good Games. This is, uh, probably, like I said, it's probably something that most people will identify with you now because it's it's such a unique, I guess, collaboration on the internet. You know, four women coming together. I don't know if it's been done before in this way. What was the kind of genesis of that and uh, how, how's it going? It's going really great and far better than we could have possibly imagined. We definitely don't want to pretend like we were the first group of women to get together sure. and talk about video games. There certainly have been plenty of, you know, all women podcasts. But we think the reason we were able to maybe break through was because we came with such an incredible background of experience working in the video games business. You know, we're not just fans of video games talking about games, which is the vast majority of gaming podcasts that exist out there. But instead, you know, we're industry professionals working in the industry actively coming together to share our knowledge mm. base and our experience and hopefully in an entertaining way. And the feedback we've gotten says that, yeah, people really like it, which is awesome. You know, like we're routinely in the top rated gaming podcast. We get featured quite a bit in, in gaming podcast lists and our audience has been absolutely incredible so generous so giving so much fun and it's been such a wonderful time to have a to have kind of this like safe place where we can go and talk about games and not have to fear the kind of toxicity that can exist in other online forums it's been it's been it's been amazing yeah and yeah like you said it's great i guess there's a diversity there of experience you got people who are reporters people who like yourself you've, you've got a lot of experience we've covered already and then like pr and Christine's experience with different developers and I guess it, it gives a cross stream of different perspectives on video games which is it's really interesting when people get together and talk about it. Yeah it really does and we think that it really set us up for success and our audience seems to agree so you know we're looking forward to looking at ways that we can expand what we're doing you know when we launched What's Good Games our one year anniversary is is right around the corner cool. Um, you know, we we looked at it and we we're like, this, if nothing else, this is going to be a place for the four of us as friends to get together and to talk about video games. Even if nobody's listening and if nobody supports us on Patreon, you know, we just wanted to have a place where we could talk together um, on a regular basis because I had been freelancing and kind of doing, you know, random work for outlets here and there and, you know, same with, you know, Alex Ray. She, at the time, I think, was still working for Elation. And, you know, she was looking for a place to talk about games. And, you know, Steimer was running her own Twitch channel. And then Brittany, of course, was running BlondeNerd.com. And so we were like, yeah, this could be a really fun project. And it's now blossomed into this amazing opportunity. And really, the the biggest takeaway from our first year of, of What's Good Games was the impact 
that we've had that we were not anticipating having having like the amount of people who write us letters or who come up to us at things like PAX or E3 and tell us how how much our show means to them is really like the best part of what, mm. everything we've done. Yeah, I think it's really great that you're kind of free to go off and do your own things like you're working with the kind of funny guys and you know you mentioned some of what the others are doing but you have this constant that uh, is there that you can come together as four people and four friends to always be able to talk about you know, the things that interest you the most. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I'm not going to pretend, pretend like we, we don't wish we could have, you know, the kind of financial support that some of our competitors do um, because then we could do more content and we could focus on this because right now we all have to kind of like divide our attention to other places because mm. we have adult responsibilities, you know, to <laughs> pay rent and, and, and bills and things like that. But, uh, you know, like we're working towards it and, you know, we don't know if or when we'll get there, but we're having a lot of fun on the way. Yeah, that's exciting. What would you say has been the hardest part of getting to where you are? At this point in your career, what's been like the greatest challenge that's kind of you've had to deal with along the way? Just the constant self-promotion. I think that at a certain point, uh, it gets really challenging to always have to be my own publicist, so to speak, to like constantly remind people that mm -hmm. I'm trying to work with where I came from, what my experience is, you know, why you should want to work with me. But like, that's part of being a, a, a freelancer or a contractor, you know, it's like, you got to have that constant hustle to always be selling yourself. And, you know, I've been in the industry now for for a decade. And so I, I kind of am hoping at some point when I go into these meetings, you know, I can like, they know like who Andrea Renee is without me having to be like, look at my giant resume. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's hard, but like when it comes to like really like tough stuff, it's like the hard part that people don't see is this misconception that you know I make all of this money and that I must be just rolling in the YouTube lifestyle <laughs> and like everything is so amazing. When in reality, it's like I'm constantly looking for work and constantly looking for opportunities for and, and for companies to work with and. You know, the reason Greg calls me the busiest lady in the business is because in order to make a, a living, you really got to have your hands in as many pots as possible. Hmm. Yeah. And on the self-promotion thing, I guess when it's not your natural personality, it, it uh, is probably more of a challenge to just accept that that's who you are from now on. You're the person that's going to be promoting your stuff. But I think people understand that that's necessary. And if they don't get it, they're not the kind of people that would support you anyway. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, I think also like trying to figure out like where my role is in this industry going forward, um, like where I want to be, you know, if do I want to continue solely on what's good or do I want to look at working with other outlets? I mean, that's always the tough part, too, is kind of figuring out like, you know, where do I want to settle down? I think that I've been on the move for hmm. so long like the idea of being with just one place is a little scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah but also you know like i i get the trade-off is you know you have the security of working with a team which is really fantastic as well having someone have all having a large group of people to bounce ideas off of and to always rely on is you know invaluable in its own ways yeah cool so on that, what would be your advice to people who want to do what you're doing? I'm sure you get this question a lot, but have you got uh, any practical tips? 
I do. It's probably the question I get asked the most is, you know, how do I do what you do? And um, the first thing I always tell people is education is key, whether that be, you know, a, a two-year school, a four-year school, a specialty school. I mean, I took I took all kinds of classes in multiple types of schools in addition to my broadcast journalism degree, my bachelor's degree. I also took classes. I took on-camera improv classes. I took hosting classes. You know, I took other types of acting classes. The best way to get comfortable on camera, if you're not really comfortable, is to take improv classes or improv for camera classes if they're available. I mean, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. I went to school in Minnesota, and I found classes. So if I can find them, you can find them. Um, And really just putting yourself out there. If you want to do video, for example, um, get a webcam or use your computer's laptop uh, camera and just start recording vlogs. Even if you never post them, even if you just record them to practice, just start doing it. And if you want to write, start writing, start a blog, start a WordPress. It's free, you know? And like I said, if you're not ready to publish your material and have people look at it, that's okay too. But if you wait to start, that puts you even further behind. And it's all about practice, practice, practice. And the number one most important thing is be passionate. If you're not waking up every morning going, I'm excited to do this and I can't wait to do this. Even if I have to work an eight to 10 hour shift, I'm going to squeeze in two hours of streaming or an hour of blogging, or I'm going to create, you know, a, a blog post, then, then this is probably not the right thing for you. I mean, when I was living in Los Angeles, trying to make my way, at one point I had five different jobs. Wow to make ends meet between working at two different bars, bartending, being an executive assistant, doing paperwork, you know, doing, you know, working at these random odd jobs to try to just to try to, you know, make my dream happen. And so like, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And if that sounds like not your bag, then that's okay. It can be a hobby for you too. But if you want to do what I do, you mean you got to put in the blood, sweat and tears. Does that advice change at all for people who have been doing that grind for a long time they've been putting in work and they just don't seem to be getting where they want to be because like you said there's so many people that want to be doing the things that you're doing that I guess it's hard to stand out that's very true there is a lot of competition now there's a lot more competition today than there was when I got started and that's because you know making media is easier today than it ever has been and everybody can stream. You can stream from your phone, from your consoles. You know, you can make YouTube videos from your phone. I would say if you've been doing it and you're having trouble breaking through, you know, maybe take a look at having somebody critique your work and maybe get some fresh eyes on it to see maybe there's something that you don't see with the material that you're making. And also go to as many networking events as you can. Because you never know who you're going to meet at these events and what they're going to be able to do for you or what kind of advice they're going to be able to offer you or a connection they'll be able to make. Even if they can't help you, maybe they can connect you to somebody that can. And as somebody who hires in this business, I prefer to hire and work with people that I know and I've worked with before. Mm. And so you're automatically going to start out at a disadvantage when you're applying for positions if you don't know who the hiring manager is. But the easiest way to find out who that is is to put yourself out there and start meeting people. And I know it's tough. From a financial perspective, it's expensive to go to something like E3 or to something like PAX, right? But sometimes you just got to save up and you got to do it because you can't meet people until you're in the room. Mm. 
Yeah, I think for some people networking is a dirty word, but it's definitely like if, if you can just think of it as meeting people who will inspire you and have great advice and might be able to help you out one day, like that's a, probably a better way to think about it. You know, when I first started out, when I first moved to Los Angeles, everybody told me it's all about who you know. And I rejected that. I was like, no, <laughs> this is bullshit. I want it to be about my skills and about my talent and about how hardworking I am. I shouldn't be about who I know. That's garbage. Fast fast forward like 15 years later and I'm like, oh my gosh, it 100% is yeah. all about who you know. And like, you know what? You get, o- you get over that quickly. I mean, I'm sure there's some people listening here who felt the same way I do or, or currently do. And I got to tell you, you got to, you just got to get rid of that attitude because the longer you hang on to it like I did, the more it's going to hold you back because it truly is about who you know. Of course, your skills matter. You can't just skate by without having any kind of talent whatsoever. But, um, you know, making sure that you're putting yourself out there in a positive light and just, you know, you hear people say this all the time, this idea of, hey, maybe be nice to everybody, but you'd be surprised how many people aren't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like you never know who the person you're going to shake hands with today, where they might be in two years or five years or 10 years. You know, like you, this is a very small industry and everybody knows everybody. So like the idea that you can maybe say something or do something to someone and it's not going to get around is a fallacy. Mm. Yeah. Conan O'Brien once said, if you work hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. And that's something that I've really remembered over a long period of time. And I think it's it's 100% true. It is. Yeah. I mean, this concept of putting in work or working hard seems really easy, but for a lot of people, it's not, you know, and some people are born with drive and ambition and some aren't. And that's okay. Sometimes it's okay to, to not, you know, reach for the stars to just do what makes you happy. And the sooner you can figure out what kind of person you are, I think the happier you'll be. That is so wise, Andrea. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experience. It's been a a great episode and I've got one last question for you. Sure. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Oh my gosh. If I could do anything and I know that I wouldn't fail, um, I'd try out for American Idol. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've always had a dream of being a singer, but I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible singer. <laughs> but I love I love singing and I love karaoke, but I'm not good at it. Uh, no, but yeah. my dream job is to is to be um, in Kathy Lee and Hoda's position on the Today Show in like the ten o'clock hour, drinking white wine, talking about fashion. Wow. Like that's like the dream. Someday. That's cool. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, make it happen. I'm working on it's funny. it. <laughs> don't think I don't understand the amazing careers both of those women had to get there. I 100% get it that they they can have that really fun job now because they, they put in the work. Um, but yeah, someday it would be nice. Fantastic. Thanks again for joining me, Andrea. It's, uh, it's been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. That was Andrea Renee. You can find her on Twitter at Andrea Renee. You can support her over on Patreon with What's Good Games. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating and review in iTunes. It really helps the show. If you really enjoyed the episode, you can pick up some of my sweet merch over at 8bit.net slash PIW. While you're there, there's a whole collective of awesome podcast content on 8bit.net. So check that out. If you want to get in touch, I'm on Twitter and other socials at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.